Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. Today we have Denise with us. Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. So you're in Houston, Texas? Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's you're enjoying the summer over there. <laughs> I don't know if enjoying's the right word, but yes, we are in summer. It's always <laughs> brutally hot here, so you're full okay. swing. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's it's been pretty cold over here. This is our winter at the moment. So, Denise, tell me a little bit about a time where you experienced trauma. So it was in my childhood. I was sexually abused by my grandfather, my mother's father. And it started when I was pretty young. It's hard to really pinpoint the beginning. Uh, As a person who has gone through that type of trauma, I don't have connection to a lot of those memories, especially when that level of trauma happens to you so young, when your Mm -hmm. brain isn't fully developed. And so I know that it started pretty early based on the very graphic, vivid memories that that I do have and my relative size to my grandfather, this very tiny little person. And it ended when he died of prostate cancer when I was 15 and I was a freshman in high school. Wow, that's a really long time. Yeah, and it was during the summers when the cousins would gather down at my grandparents' retirement home. They had retired on the lake and had this sort of modern log cabin. And so it was during the day, you know, great. It was fishing and boating and swimming and skiing and having great times running around being kids. But you know, there was also the sexual abuse happening. And often it was in my grandfather's workshop that was in the bottom part of this log cabin. Um, And I don't, 
really know how many people might have known about it. It's something that I kind of worked through during my healing process to try to understand that. But in the end, I just decided it didn't really matter so much for my healing process to, mm. to fully understand that because that leads you down the path of, well, if, who knew what, when, and, you know, would they, should they, could they have stopped it, you know? Um, so there's a lot of questions like that that you deal with when you're trying to overcome that level of trauma. But for me, it was just, I dissociated. My personality yeah. changed. I went from this open, caring, loving kid. I wasn't an extreme extrovert, extrovert, but I was someone who enjoyed being around people and was creative and outgoing in that sense. And it just turned me into a total introvert because what I learned from that trauma was the world can be a big, scary place. It can hurt you. And the people who are supposed to protect you and love you and care about you can hurt you. And that was just something that I learned from very early on and almost call it getting into my DNA to mm -hmm. set my worldview. And that's kind of how I went into the world from that, that place was just being afraid of people and situations that I wouldn't be able to control and protect myself. So it, it was basically your entire childhood. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and every summer your family would go to the same place and the same things would, would happen. Yeah, basically my parents would kind of drop us off and, you know, have, it was like dropping your kids off to camp, <laughs> you oh. know, camp grandparents. And so there weren't any other adults around most of the time when the kids were there, it was just my grandparents. And then it could be me and my sister, it could be four or five different groups of cousins. You know, I, I know of at least one cousin that was abused and she had a very similar personality to mine. She was 10 years older than me and I had conversations with her. And so we kind of validated each other on what we had experienced and, and talking to her learned that there was, you know, the older generation most likely was abused as well. And so it was very multi-generational yeah. <laughs> of the people that he impacted. Um, and he just went after certain personalities like mine it, that for some reason, I guess he just needed to control, you know, cause that's really what it is about. A lot yeah. of people don't yeah. understand that incest, sexual abuse, is about control and it's not about the sex or the physicalness of it at all it's about control and i think that he probably was abused i don't know for sure but i think he probably was abused and he had like this black hole in his soul that he was trying to consume certain kinds of women in his family and it, it i'd gone through a lot of work to heal and at this point in my life i can look back and i can just i pretty much feel sorry for him I feel sorry for him that he had all these amazing, wonderful women in his life, and he had no idea how to love them like a normal person could, and he missed out on, on so much that he could have had, and instead, he ended up practically destroying people's lives. You know, certainly he, for a long time, had destroyed or at least eliminated the possibility of having a childhood, um, and through my healing, I've gotten more in touch with that inner child and done a lot of work to connect with that little girl again and to forgive her and to help her heal. But it's just something that took a long time to be able to have that perspective because healing is a journey, right? <laughs> journey, <laughs> Not knowing exactly how you're going to trans translate that into an experience that will lead you out of the darkness into the light, out of these patterns of behavior that just are not good for you and 
making your life untenable. They served you in some way when yeah. you were young. Mm-hmm. You developed those because that was the thing that you could do at the time. And so yeah. I have to look back and say, thank you for <laughs> those behaviors that got me through that. But you have to say, okay, those behaviors aren't serving me anymore. I need to figure out what's going to be a better, healthier way to live and put my energy into those things and moving forward rather than putting my energy into the past. So I started off as a victim mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I progressed over time to a survivor, but my life was still in reference to my experience in the past. I, I literally felt chained to my grandfather in my past. And eventually I started learning things that would enrich my life, build my resilience and expand my ability to be around people and enjoy people again. And to the point that I actually consider myself a thriver. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Dr. Olga Laval and Associates, award-winning providers of psychological services, including telehealth and phone consultations, empowering people to make meaningful changes to their lives. For more information, please go to www.olgalaval.com. Wow. So can I ask, what were some of those behaviors that were um, helping you survive but were maladaptive? I think one of them was just the perfectionism that I developed. So Mm -hmm. I had my grandfather's voice was, you know, the things he did and the things he said were constantly, you're worthless, you're unlovable, Mm -hmm. you deserve what I'm doing to you. He never that I remember told me not to tell anyone, but he was six foot four, military guy, very intimidating, very manipulative and controlling. And intuitively, I, I pretty much picked up, you don't cross this man, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so he yeah. never had to tell me because he knew he would just threaten by pure presence. Um, so there was that negativity, con- the shame, the shame of all of that. And to counter that, to try to gain some kind of control in my environment, I can, became a, a total perfectionist. And everything I did, whether it was at school or at home, but particularly in school, I had to get the perfect scores. I had to be perfect in every way. And if it didn't happen, I would beat myself up about Mm. not being good enough. So it was, even though that perfectionism was supposed to try to move me into a place of control Mm -hmm. and to feel better about myself, it just ended up being another way that I beat myself up. And So so it was like... I can't control what he does to me. So I'll try and control what I can do over here. And then I'll do this really well to make up for it, to make up for what happens over here. Yeah, Yeah, to make up for it and almost in a way to prove myself worthy enough for it to stop. I had no way to make it stop. And I think looking back on it, that that perfectionism, if I became a really good girl, I would not be the bad girl that deserved to be abused. Ah. I see. Okay. So if you could somehow be better, then you wouldn't deserve that kind of almost punishment. But it, it was untenable. You know, perfectionism is a losing game. Mm. You can never be perfect. All you end no. up doing is making it very difficult to live in any kind of happiness and have a good experience in any way. Yeah. Wow. So it, he, he died when you were 15. Yeah, yeah. And up to that point in time, like I said, physically, I would associate during the actual abuse episodes. And in between, my brain just couldn't handle it. So it sort of like compartmentalized that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to experience and deal with it. I just, there's no way I could. 
But when he died when I was 15, it was like all of a sudden my mind decided, oh, it's safe. You can start remembering. And it was a nightmare living. Oh. I was living a nightmare because it all came up. All the memories, the flashbacks, the body memories, the, the emotions. I, I really thought I was going crazy because it was just like, I can't believe all of this. But I knew it to be true in my heart, deep in my soul. I knew it to be true because it just made so much sense to me about how I felt around him. I was afraid to be seated next to him at Thanksgiving. That is how terrified I was of him. And you, as a grandchild, you want to run up and hugs and kisses and loves from your grandparents. I was like, keep him away from me. And I knew that wasn't normal. I knew that there was something weird about that, but you know, I wasn't able to put it together. And then when he died, it was like, oh my God, this all makes so much sense. But I had no way to deal with it. And I was too ashamed to share it with anyone. So I just focused on school, focused on extracurricular activities, kept so busy. I didn't have time to deal with it or think about it or, or worry about it in any way. So that I just plowed on through. You know, there was the perfectionism came back and yeah. forth. So I just plowed on through until college when a friend of mine helped me get into therapy. And okay. that is when I first started talking about it. And the female therapist that I found, it took me a couple of tries to find someone mm-hmm. I was comfortable with, yeah. but the female therapist I found, she got me into a women's group for survivors, mm-hmm. which was unbelievable to talk to people <laughs> who had gone through similar experiences. Some were rape victims, some were incest victims, so on and so forth. So it was a mixed group of different ages, but they were all, it was a facilitated group. So they were all working on their healing and I could hear their stories in my story and vice versa, could see them as me and understand it wasn't just me. Mm. Those lies mm. about me being worthless and I deserved it. That's, those were what they were. They were lies. Yeah. And these people, yeah. these women were able to help me see that that was what was true. Um, and to see them on their various parts of their healing journey, some were further along than others, it was inspirational. And it gave me hope. Like, oh my gosh, they can get to this point where one woman was at a point where she's like, I don't need to come anymore. And the therapist agreed, you know, she's ready to transition out of the group. I'm like, someday. <laughs> one day. That's my goal. My goal. That's my goal. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I was doing that. And I, at the time, I also got involved with Survivors of Incest Anonymous. It's mm-hmm. pretty big here in the U.S., but I think it's international. And it's... Um, yeah like AA, you know, it's a 12-step program. And that was the first time I saw men who had been abused. It was, it was un- just like, I can't get that in my brain that men could be on the receiving end of abuse because it was always my grandfather for me. And one of the men, there was a gentleman who was in his seventies, probably the age my grandfather was when he abused me and he had been abused by his mother and he's sharing his trauma and his story. And I was just blown away. And it just made me realize, even in a bigger sense, that it wasn't just me, that yeah. the people yeah. who were doing these things were the ones that had the problem, yeah. the ones yeah. that needed healing as much as I did. Um, so yeah, that, that was a couple of years in college that I was able to do that. And then I went to grad school and back to being perfectionism because there was a lot of stress and yeah. <laughs> a lot of things had to be done. And so it was, several years went by where I would kind of let it simmer in the back burner. And then after that, when I started you know, my professional career, I thought, okay, I need to kind of come back to it. The therapy 
for me was very, very helpful. It was the first transition for me, but it didn't take me where I wanted to go fully. Mm-hmm. So I just started mm-hmm. exploring things and, you know, I discovered yoga, which was a way that I learned to heal my relationship with my body through okay. the, the yoga okay. work and released a lot of body memory and emotions that are trapped in various parts of our body. And then I discovered meditation, which helped me work with my mind and really finally recognize and deal with my grandfather's voice and the perfectionist voice mm-hmm. and get rid of them and find my true authentic voice. Um, and from there, I just started exploring what really was helpful was being in nature, doing some photography and creative arts. And piece by piece, I started pulling together the things that were going to really help me heal. I just focused on what made me feel good, what made me feel move forward. My husband was totally supportive throughout all this. I was very fortunate. He understood about the abuse when I shared it with him, and he never pushed me. To, to do things, but he was always supporting me. And if, if I was off a little bit, he said, honey, I know yoga makes you feel really good. Have You haven't gone to class recently. Do you want to try going to a class? I'm like, you're right. I should go to a class. Very <laughs> supportive. Know? Yeah. So, and he didn't have to go do these things with me. He just knew what he could see was very helpful for me and was really supportive that way. So it, it over the years, I just developed different practices that seemed to work and seemed to help build my resilience and give me some structure around what I needed to do to stay healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioural Education, providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma. If you work with people, you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au. Wow. And, And you've written a book. Yeah. Yeah, so, tell me about that process. So I, I recently self-published a book. Um, it's a self-help book, and it's about my story. But more importantly, it's about these different things that I've been sharing with you as far as the yoga and meditation, et cetera. I didn't have a blueprint when I started this healing process. Um, there mm-hmm. was The Courage to Heal, which is an incredible book. But I needed something more tangible that could kind of tell me, what should I do? What should mm-hmm. I try? And I sort of bumbled and stumbled around to find it. And when I did the yoga at the very beginning and all these things started coming out, I started writing poetry. Now I had been creative and writing poetry as a kid, you know, cute little stories and things. And this was the first time I actually used poetry to express the feelings and the emotions and things that were happening during the abuse and as I was healing. But I was like, who's going to read a bunch of poems about abuse? (laughs) You know, how can I share that? Even though my husband's like, you should share this. It would really help. I'm like, I don't see it happening. And then I just kind of put it on the back burner. I didn't have a a lot of memories, like I said before. And with trauma, it's often hard to put your trauma memories in context with the rest of your life. I can't tell you what was happening in my quote normal life when various things were happening with my grandfather. And so I didn't have a memoir. I didn't have, you know, the full story to write. But when Dr. Larry Nessar was revealed to have abused all of these Olympic women in the US, 
and all these gymnasts, I mean, hundreds, literally hundreds of women. That's when my heart cracked open. I said, mm -hmm. okay, I don't have a memoir, but I do have a self-help book where I can share what I've done. I can tell my story, tell how these different things help me guide people, create the book I wish I had had when I was going through my beginnings of healing. And so that's what I did. So I've written it so that you, it will help you if you're in the beginning of your healing journey to find a therapist or a group. If you're further along, you can kind of skip that and jump into the different things I try like yoga and meditation. And I encourage readers to get a journal and I offer at the end of each chapter questions that they can journal on to try to discover their own process, their own path. Because I'm not oh. trying to sell a program. I'm not trying to do a 30 days to healing you know, no. program. This is a book where you can see what I've done and then you're going to explore what might work for you. And then the next section is some of those tough questions is who you're going to tell. How do you share with your partner what happened to you? Do you need to confront your abuser? That sort of thing. And the final piece of it is all the poems that I wrote those years ago when I first started my healing journey. And um, I put them in there just to, to honor that process that I went through, but also to share in a different way about my story and to use it as an example of journaling that people could do if they needed to process their experiences. So that's what I put together. It's called Thriving After Sexual Abuse, Break Your Bondage to the Past and Live the Life You Love. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to put um, links to, to your book in the, in the show notes. I think that's just such a good idea. And I think for people going through and, and trying to heal, it is so hard to know what to say. You know all this stuff's happened to you, but how do you get it out? How do you translate it? So having those, those um, prompts almost to, mm -hmm. to start a dialogue um, is so helpful, like giving people an opportunity to, to sort of tell their own story and giving them a really systematic way to kind of do it, almost like um, <laughs> not to, to lessen it, but like almost like Ikea instructions, how to start yeah, the year. a recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a recipe exactly. book, exactly. And then different people have had different trauma experiences and their healing journeys, is, they're going to be different. And so I'm, I'm just sort of giving you some examples and trying to get you to think as a reader, what would really work for me? What is your joy? What can you connect with? What sustains you and support you? What do you enjoy doing? Because we've learned from all the neuroscience that the more we can include and focus on the things that fill us with gratitude and joy and our positive experiences, then those start to counteract the negativity. And in fact, you can start to literally rewire your brain so that it focuses on the positive as you feed that more and more. And you can move away from a lot of those behaviors that you've developed, like I said before, that served you at one point in time and don't. But you can move beyond those and also shift your ability to respond to the world in a new way. So you can basically reprogram yourself, which is really fantastic news, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can reprogram your brain, or if you want to think of it, you can heal, heal your heart, body, mind, and soul. And, and it's very inspiring to think that that can happen. It's going to be hard, hard work. Mm. But I, I like to tell people, look how strong you were to make it through that trauma. No matter what you had to do at the time, you were strong enough to get through. You have that strength now that you can tap into to make the effort and put the energy into something different. 
you know, I have the cover of my book is um, a rose that's growing up between a broke, broken ball and chain. Okay. Oh yeah. So I see. the ball and chain represented when I was connected to the past and weighed down by the work of having to overcome that abuse. And I was literally had this visual that I was chained to my grandfather for a very long time. And at one point it just suddenly dawned on me, break the chain, break the chain and turn away from being a survivor and focused on the past, turn away from that, walk away from that and focus on the future and on thriving. And that rose I put between the broken chain because to me a rose is, is be represents beauty yeah. and it smells great. It is a beautiful red color, but that's what I'm saying is your inner beauty. You're yeah. learning to yeah. love yourself, connect with your inner beauty. And I like the rose as well because it has thorns and it means have good boundaries. Don't let people take advantage of you or put you in a bad situation. You're gonna fall in love with yourself and when you love yourself in that way, you set good boundaries for yourself that keep you healthy, keep you protected. So that was very purposeful on the cover that I wanted to put those, those images there because I wanted to let people know that it is possible to thrive. It is possible to move past your past and do what you need to do for yourself, that you deserve that. I yeah. think everybody really deserves that. Oh, I love that. And I love that you talk about the relationship with, with your body and the trauma, because it's so, it's such a big thing that we, we almost don't really understand. Like, I'm sure you've come across um, the body keeps the score and the body mm -hmm. remembers like they're, they're so prolific in, in helping people kind of understand the relationship between our mind and our body and particularly in trauma when we've experienced trauma we hold so much of it in our body and shut down and and completely dissociate from what's happening in our bodies when um, our bodies are trying to tell us we're not okay mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing that it was so overwhelming what was happening to me was so overwhelming because it was so much physical you know being touched and and being approached in that way it just really mm -hmm. felt like I was being consumed by him and your you know your body is made to experience pleasure and to respond you know as a as we're sexual beings and so here's this confusing mix of it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel right and yet sometimes it does and it, you know that's just so I should be ashamed you know it, it just gets so complex and confusing especially for a kid mm -hmm. and that for me the best way to deal with all that confusion was just to push it down dissociate and totally disconnect. It was like I was a walking brain. <laughs> you know, I had, I would use my body because I was in sports. I would use my body as a tool. It was a machine. It would do what I wanted it to do. I would push it to the limit. I have no respect for it. I'd push it till I literally would collapse from exhaustion. And I was skirting along the edge of eating disorder. Cause again, that was a, a control thing for me. Luckily I never I never tipped over to the other side of that, but there were so many ways that I did not connect with, treat my body well, let alone love it. The, the idea of loving my body never entered my mind until I started doing yoga. And then I really got a lot of respect for it and learned to connect with it and learn to fall in love with it again and really appreciate it as a very wonderful part of being a human being. That was what was really frustrating for a very long time was that, that was taken away from me 
before I ever really understood what my body was, it, that connection to it was taken away. And I had to figure out how to reestablish that. Wow. So how are you doing now? I think life's pretty good, minus, you know, a pandemic, of course. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, that, right? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, no, no healing journey is ever going to be perfect. I'm not expecting things to be wonderful all the time because we're human beings. I feel like what I've done is I've gotten over the hump of what the abuse was keeping me from doing. And now I'm living a more normal life. It has ups, it has downs, it has good times and bads. And that's just the nature of being a human being. But I don't get overwhelmed by the negative. I feel like I have figured out how to sustain my resilience, fill my well of resilience so that I can do what I need to do. When the times get tough, I'm able to handle them. And then I can let go. I don't have to be on high alert all the time and um, waiting for the next shoe to drop because I've moved past that mindset. I'm in a place where, where I can go out and seek the things that I enjoy doing or just be restful and just enjoy being quiet and restful and spending time with people who are important to me. And I have the ability to give myself permission to rest, to not be perfect, to enjoy life and to just be. And that's a really great place to be. That's a really powerful thing to just be, to give yourself space to just be. I really like that. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Trauma Tales. I really appreciate your time. I know it's uh, evening where you are at the moment. It's evening, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's morning over here. It's evening there. So thank you for spending the time with me today. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Trauma Tales. Now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to the Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email the Trauma Tales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.